0: Hello and thank you for checking out this episode of season two of the From the Frontline podcast. Each episode we'll be interviewing a key voice from the NHS or social care to discuss some of the key challenges and changes that impact the treatment and care we all receive. Throughout this podcast series we'll be answering some of the big questions which face health and social care today, such as why are there massive delays in A&E, how do we beat the NHS winter crisis and how can we make the future of digital health accessible for all. We hope that you'll finish each episode knowing a little bit more about the major NHS headlines and what needs to change if we are to deliver the best possible care for everyone in the UK. The From the Frontline podcast is brought to you by PLMR Healthcoms, who are part of the PLMR group. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the From the Frontline podcast. Um, we're delighted to have Noel Gordon, uh, former chair of NHS Digital with us on the programme today. Um, Noel, thank you, re- thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's really great to have you. Um, just as a starting point, um, just so our listeners can have a little bit of an introduction to you, um, it just would be great to get a sense of your background, um, I think our listeners will be particularly interested in that work at NHS Digital and that role as chair. Um, So if there were any particular highlights or memories from that that particular role, it'd be great to get a little bit of background on that as well.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, Matthew, and great pleasure to be here. Um, Let me take you back uh, 10 years ago when I came into the NHS from the outside world. And uh, I joined the board of NHS England initially, and from there, quite soon afterwards, in fact, became chair of NHS Digital, and quite soon after that, chair of Healthcare UK, which is the export organisation of both the NHS and private sector. So, um, before I talk uh, about specific highlights of my time in NHSD, let me take you back to what NHS Digital does, because it's a quite important backdrop, I suppose. So NHS Digital runs health systems which are based on critical national infrastructure, as the term is known. I like to think of it as running the rail tracks on which the trains of the NHS run. It's, if you like, an infrastructure operator. It holds uh, 70 million patient records, a communications network connecting about 25,000 nodes of the NHS and the community pharmacy world. Um, It sends more messages per second over that network than all credit card transactions combined in the UK. It runs the cyber defenses for that patient data and for that network. So you can look at it in IT terms as a sort of wedding cake with several layers, what in the tech world we call a stack. And the very top layer of that stack faces outward to patients and citizens. That top layer is the NHS app, which has now about 15 million registered users, NHS online, and it supports a marketplace, as we call it, which enables third party private sector providers to put their new innovative innovative services, like patient apps and GP apps onto the stack. So um, it is basically an infrastructure organisation, but very crucially, it keeps the lights on as far as day to day, minute by minute, second by second running of the NHS is concerned. So I wanted to explain that wedding cake, Matthew, before talking about some of the highlights because I was very proud of NHS Digital in everything it innovated over my four years as chair of the organisation. I was particularly proud of the NHS app and uh, the way it meets minimum standards for accessibility and equalities. Under the Equalities Act, we had to test, test and test again before we could launch anything in the way of new features. And people always used to think, and you always used to ask me, why does it take so long to launch minimum viable products? and new features onto the NHS app. But, you know, people didn't really see how much work needed to be done to make sure the app worked for everybody in the community, all citizens and not just the digitally native members of the community. So I was very proud of that. I was very proud of NHS Online, which is a fabulous service. Many countries that we went to abroad wanted what we have here in the way of NHS Online and, in fact, the whole of the NHS Digital Stack as well. But it provides huge amounts of online information for both self-triage and navigation across NHS services. Helping people manage their own conditions uh, and find the best route through the NHS when they have a condition that needs diagnosis or treatment has become a very digital experience for many people. And that's a great testament to the way that NHS Online was built. Third thing I'm very proud about is the security we provide around patient data. And it is quite extraordinary. After WannaCry, which you'll remember, uh, we had to go through a major upgrade of our defenses. Um, But people often forget no patient data was ever extracted or exfiltrated, as it's called, uh, from um, our patient data sets through WannaCry, and I'm very proud of that. The threat identification systems that we use to anticipate where actors might choose to attack are probably world-class now. And so I'm very proud of the way we protect patient data. I talked about the way uh, NHS Digital runs this network of 25,000 nodes. That's called the spine. And uh, it hardly ever, I'm slightly careful about saying this, but it hardly ever has an outage or downtime. It runs to what in the industry we call five nines, which is 99.999% uptime, which is really quite extraordinary, Uh, and a level of performance that's that's, uh, rarely achieved in other industries. So the NHS can rely upon it, and it's always on. So the services we built and operated, I think, were gold-plated. And that's because they have to be. People's lives depended on it. Clinicians take those services for granted. They take for granted the fact that it's always on and it's always up. Um, and another example of that is uh, the electronic prescribing service, which allows GPs to send electronic prescriptions to your nominated pharmacy. Um, the safety and reliability and convenience of that nationwide service is is very impressive. Impressive. So I look back on my time with NHSD, and I'm very proud of what I call the hidden gem in the NHS. Um, you never see it, but it's always there. It's always on, and you would you would notice if it was not available at any point in the day, rather like an ATM machine is often down, but it isn't. The rail tracks always work. And while it's, the rail tracks are not as cool as some of the shiny trains that run on our tracks, um, it, is, uh, it is an extraordinarily efficient and well-managed and well-organized capability that sits inside. Other countries wish they had what we've got, and that's probably the greatest compliment we can pay to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're completely right in that description of the NHS's digital capabilities as something akin to an unsung hero, I suppose, particularly thinking of the COVID-19 pandemic in that regard. Uh, Fascinating that you mentioned a couple of points around um, accessibility of digital health In particular, Um, I would love to just take a step forward, I suppose, um, from that work as the chair of of NHS Digital. Recently, you've been um, working as an expert advisor for the Health and Social Care Select Committee um, on their ongoing inquiry into the digitization of the NHS. Um, It's worth noting for our listeners that. The expert panel that you were a part of has recently published some findings as part of that inquiry. Um, It'd be great to get a sense from your position on that panel um, and with that broader inquiry in mind, I suppose. Um, Were there any particular parts of that report or the inquiry that you think are particularly noteworthy um, that you would like to highlight to listeners? But also, I suppose, um, it'd be great to get a sense as to any indication that you have of the future direction of travel of that inquiry more broadly, I suppose, and what happens next.
1: Yeah. um, It's an important mission of the Health Select Committee to evaluate how the NHS has delivered against various government commitments over time. And so every six months or so, The HSC chooses a different aspect of the NHS to assess. um, And uh, particularly to look at how well commitments have been delivered. So prior to this investigation into the commitments made around the digital transformation of the NHS, the HSC chose to look at the workforce, NHS workforce, and how commitments have been delivered there. The methodology it adopts to evaluate performance is derived from the CQC, so there are four levels of rating that are applied. We selected nine commitments made by ministers to examine in this particular study, and uh, we could have chosen probably 20 or 30 others, but we had to choose a limited number given the time we were, that were available for, uh, to us and so we chose nine, that, nine clusters of commitment that seemed particularly important. They included commitments around the NHS app, patient data, procurement access for SMEs uh, and workforce readiness, digital literacy for example. The point is to compare really what ministers committed to and whether funding was made available to support those commitments, whether the sequence of commitments were aligned properly and built on one another, whether they were the right commitments to make in terms of public demand, and whether the timescales that were forecast were realistic. The overall summary that the the committee came to or concluded on was that progress on digital transformation in the NHS, while there are many beacons of success, the overall progress made against commitments um, was inadequate. And there were probably three or four main reasons for this. By the way, I should say in passing that we, We don't just make these uh, um, assessments in a closed room. We go out and we got submissions from over 50 different organizations, and we hold a number of round tables with various representatives from different stakeholder groups, including patient groups. So it's a pretty rounded piece of analysis that informs how the final decisions are made. four really root causes I suppose. The first was that many commitments were made without due regard as to whether the building blocks were in place to assure that those commitments were actually deliverable. Um, Those could be technology commitments, sorry, technology building blocks, they could be workforce building blocks, they could be funding. But Uh, what we found is commitments were made without real assurance having taken place that actually they were feasible. Secondly, we found that funding was often committed but not released according to plan and in some cases not released at all. And of course with big technology and digital transformation projects, one thing you need up front is certainty that the money is actually going to be available according to your release plan. The third thing we found is that the centre finds it quite difficult to cope with... The centre of the NHS, by the way, finds it quite difficult to cope with the changing priorities of government. So you start something off only to find that a new commitment comes along later which throws things off track, and then resources, of course, have to be diverted to what is the latest big idea. That's an impossible dynamic for big technology projects to deal with um, the sort of stop go or go stop phenomenon. Um, and why is it difficult? Because big technology programs are complex, multi layered need long term planning to deliver well. And so stability, stability of policy is an absolutely critical success factor in the digital transformation of any industry, and particularly true in the NHS. And that hasn't been a feature of the last few years. So you asked what, what are the next steps? Well, in the normal course of events, um, it will be reviewed by the Health Select Committee in session. And then I think it will be important for NHS England and the department to try and learn some some of the lessons outlined in the report. If we really want to accelerate digital transformation in the nhs and get the tools in front of clinicians and our citizens much faster than we have we really need to get good at this <laughs> get good at it as an organisation as a country as a government because you know paper isn't coming back anytime soon digitalisation is the way forward for all industries, and and it has to be the way of the NHS. So I hope um, the work of this expert committee uh, acting on behalf of the HSC is going to make a small contribution to accelerating how we do big big digital transformation in the NHS and in social care faster than we have done so far.
0: Fascinated by your mention just there of the relationship between the centre of the NHS and government and um, how the changing tide of government policy can impact on the centre of the NHS's ability to actually enact those policies. Um, I also completely agree with your thought just at the end there that digitisation is the future of the NHS. Um, I suppose with that in mind, it would be great to get your sense as to um, what the role of the centre of the NHS could and should look like, I suppose, in the future when it comes to digitisation. We had Simon Bolton, um, former CEO of NHS Digital, on on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, One of the things that he mentioned, which I thought was quite interesting, was... Um, His desire that the centre, and I think he was referring particularly to the Transformation Directorate in this, um, was more opinionated, dare I say, more forthright, I suppose, in the kind of direction of travel that it's set for local NHS hospitals and trusts in terms of what it should be doing when it comes to digital. I suppose it would be great to get your thought if you had any reflections on that particular point, but um, I suppose more broadly um, as to what you see the centre of the NHS's role being in that future of digital.
1: I think there are three dynamics to watch for over the next 24 months in the bigger landscape of the NHS. Uh, The first, I would say, is the merger of NHS Digital, NHSX, uh, Health Education England, into the centre, NHS England itself, which is, you know, a huge organisational mashup. A mashup, I mean, uh, reconstruction. Uh, and what flows from that will, or will be, is going to be the consequential downsizing of the whole, which is designed to reduce overlaps and to reduce cost. And how that new operating model works out um, and how the locus of decision-making works out, I think is going to be an extremely important element in, um, for many of our listeners to understand who does what. The second um, dynamic that I think is important and it's related is the transfer of responsibilities from the centre to the ICSs, which is the subject of Patricia Hewitt's very important review. Which decisions about technology uh, shift from the centre to the ICSs is is going to change the locus of decision-making quite significantly, significantly, but also the priorities Uh, Rollout of EHR systems is one example. Patient-facing apps might be another. And in any review of this kind, um, the first question to ask is, what should the centre do that only the centre can do? In my opinion, and of course I do not know at all what Patricia will conclude, um, the centre should keep responsibility for four things. One is national infrastructure, the rail tracks that I described a few moments ago. Two is patient data. Three is nationwide service software, like screening systems, vaccination systems, security and safety systems. Um, And fourthly, I think it is setting the policy and standards, and I could include in that Simon's point around being more opinionated. Well, in reality, what that meant was the publication by NHSX about a year ago of something called What Good Looks Like, and that was the vehicle really for transmission uh, of what opinions the centre had about the rollout into the ICSs. So I think those four things are really things that only the centre can do and should do. Um, There is also uh, a major question around how do you avoid a thousand flowers blooming and which flowers do you want to bloom? Well, I think in the transfer of responsibility in the digital transformation sense to the ICSs is we are going to have much more say uh, in the way that the ICSs decide to use some of the digital assets of the NHS that suits yet their locality, it suits their geography, suits their population, it suits their pathway design and it suits their own um, social determinants of health. And I think that is a good thing. I think that's very hard to mandate from the centre. I think it's very ICS specific and ICSs themselves are very diverse in all four of those dimensions. So I would move as much as possible to the ICS level and retain in the centre, in the transformation directorate, Those four things that have to be national. Um, The third dynamic, I think, is money. Now, it's been a truism of the last few years that when the NHS gets into financial difficulty, typically in the last quarter of the financial year, the first place to look for budget cuts is digital and technology programs. Curiously, they've always been regarded as a slightly discretionary um, category, which I think is wrong thinking, and that's why we see so many digital programmes starved of funding in the final furlong, which is, you know, needed to complete um, to complete them, and it happens almost every year. So certainly, since in my short lifetime in the NHS. It's been very hard to get things completed as you planned. Um, The new hospital build programme is the shining example. EHR rollout is another. You might think it odd of me to include the new hospital build programme as an example of of where digital cuts can can hurt. But the point, of course, about the new programme was to think very differently about what the future hospital. What the future uh, hospital of the future should actually look like in a digital age, so it's very very relevant, and some very bright minds have applied themselves to this task. Yet we don't know now uh, whether we have the funds um, to make that future come alive or not. So it is very relevant to the whole issue of money and discretionary budgets. Um, the fourth dynamic, I think, is is the big opportunity that the ICSs will have to get a full grip on what sh- which digital solutions work best for them um, with their demographic, their geography, their set of patients' needs, their set of estates that they inherit as part of their legacy. Um, and they will be very, very constructive in coming up for uh, solutions which uh, fit their needs much more preci- precisely. So if we can shift the dial away from a he- acute hospital-centric NHS toward a much more community or place-centric NHS through this transfer of responsibility to ICSs, I think we'll have truly started to transform the way NHS uses digital. It's a fascinating
0: conversation. Um... And yeah, really grateful for your time, Noel. It's it's worth, um, just as a sort of final point to our conversation, uh, letting our listeners know that you've recently joined the PLMR Healthcoms team as a strategic advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, worth saying from myself personally, welcome to the team. Thank first you. First of all, um, we're really excited to have you involved. And I suppose it would be great to finish just um, with a couple of thoughts from as yourself as to... Um, why you were interested in joining the PLMR Healthcoms team as a strategic advisor, um, and what you're most looking forward to, I suppose, in the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great pleasure for me to join the team and uh, and, uh, to be able to share some of these ideas with you, which have been, uh, I suppose, uh, forming over the last few years, really, around how we need to execute digital transformation in this country. the first thing that attracted me, I suppose, is the reputation of uh, PLMR, Healthcoms, uh, which is really second to none in the health and care space. It's got extremely well-qualified people with you know, really deep backgrounds in the subject matter of health and care, which I think is absolutely essential um, to getting the right advice. And by that, I mean advice that works. Second uh, uh, major attraction, I think, is the interdisciplinary array of capability that's embodied in the organization, which, you know, when you're faced with interdisciplinary problems, which most of the NHS is, whenever you peel the onion aback, um, you absolutely need interdisciplinary thinking. By definition, the NHS is, is called very often by economists a complex adaptive system, which effectively means it's never stable and it's never at any sort of equilibrium. So you need to be able to call on a panel of deep sector and functional skills to build the right solutions for clients. And that is, I think, what PLMR Healthcoms bring. And then finally, uh, I come from a background uh, which is very client-centric and very much a partnership ethos um, that creates chemistry, empathy, telepathy in the culture of the place. And I like that very much um, and really feel comfortable being part of that culture. Type of culture. Uh, I should also say that I think PLMR Healthcoms has an extraordinary client-first ethos, and that is exactly the way that I believe companies like this should operate. Um, You know, there's also something else, which is I have a fairly deep belief that any business has to constantly reinvent itself to stay relevant. And that's particularly true in the health and care space. So the leadership team here very much convinced me that, you know, constant refresh of talent, refresh perspectives, bring in new experience is a very natural act for this leadership team, which means you can tackle fresh problems with fresh mindsets. That's very important to client performance and um, you know it's a characteristic of being a high-performance business, which I felt comfortable c- contributing to and actually felt very excited about the vision that the team have here for the way they can bring their capabilities together to help, help their clients in helping the NHS navigate what is a very complex journey.
0: No, Gordon, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, and as I said just a moment ago, um, really excited and looking forward to working with you in the future. So thank you again. Thank you, Matthew, great pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the From the Frontlines podcast. If you have any thoughts about our conversation or would like to get involved in a future episode, please email fromthefrontline at healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. If you'd like to chat about our work as one of the UK's top health and social care public affairs agencies, please visit our website, healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. Thanks again for listening.